Well, so what we're going to do now is we're going to get into the Word of God, and we're going to start talking about reasons we could be praising God. Um, thinking about Easter, you know, Easter is, it's that time of year where for me as a pastor, I'm like, what do I want to teach on? It's the resurrection. What else are you going to teach on? Yeah, but I taught on that last year. And the year before that. And the year before that. And the year before that. Should I just tell the same story that I always tell, or can I mix it up a little from a different perspective? And so I wanted to look at it from a dif different perspective, because that's what I like doing. I get bored easy, so I try new things. And this is what I was thinking about. Everybody knows Jesus rose from the dead, or at least that's the story. Not everybody believes it. Of course, we do. But let's go back three days. How did he die? They go, oh, he was crucified. Yeah, 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 yeah. But you're missing my, my question. He's God, right? And God's supposed to be all-powerful. So if he's God and he's all-powerful, how did he die? How do you kill a God? That's what I want to talk about for a couple of minutes. This is something that most people don't think about, and it's extremely important. Of course, if we we're going to make a movie about it today, it'd be with a magical sword, of course. That's how you kill a god. You just get a super magical sword, and then you can kill anything. No, no, God is all-powerful. There's nothing you can do up against God. Nothing. So, but he died. Two things you need if you want to kill a god. We went to church today. What did we learn? How to kill a god? You'll not learn that anywhere else, I guarantee. <laughs> so how do you kill a god? Well, you need two things. First thing you need... It's his permission. Here's what Jesus said. No one takes my life from me. I give it up willingly. I have the power to give it up, and I have the power to receive it back again. If you're going to kill a god, you need his permission. It's the only way you're ever going to get it done. But there's still something else you need, because even with his permission, he's still God. So how do you kill an all-powerful being? Somehow you're going to have to... He's going to have to set aside his power so that he's vulnerable to death. Christ was truly God, Philippians 2 says, but he did not try to remain equal with God. Instead, he gave up everything when he became like one of us. He obeyed God and even died on a cross. He gave up everything. His divine power he pushed aside. Could you imagine doing that? I can't imagine doing that. You've got all the power in the universe, and you just give it away. Give it up. Well, why do you give it up? So you can die. Which kind of got my mind thinking, why in the world would anybody want to die? Who, who, who wants to do that? We take great pains not to do that. My wife's a nurse. She works in the intensive care unit. There's all sorts of people in there she's trying to keep alive. Why do we work so hard? Well, because life is precious. Life is good. And yet... He, who could have lived forever, willingly chose not to. The Apostle Paul wrote this in the Bible. Christ died for our sins, the good for the bad, so that he might bring us to God. The Bible says that we're all guilty before God. And Jesus took all of that guilt on himself. He swapped his life for our life. He died in our place. That's why he did it. So 
he died for us so that all of our guilt could be upon him, what kind of guilt do we have? For some of you, you totally know the answer to this question, but some of you, I remember talking to one guy some years ago, and he knew I was religious, and, you know, he liked to make fun of me. But one day he had a serious moment, and he said, I'm not a sinner. And I looked at him, now, now I was laughing. <laughs> he said, no, I'm, I'm being serious. I said, what are you talking about? He said, well, I've never killed anybody. I've never robbed a bank. Oh, well, yeah, I guess if that's all you thought sin was, you're not a sinner. Well, he said, what is sin? First, let me let you know what the Bible says. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But what exactly is sin? So I have to explain to people, and so do you. Because if we think sin is murdering people, raping people, and robbing banks, then we're okay. We don't need Jesus. We're fine. He died for those guys. But if you really know what sin is, then you realize he died for you too. Sin is three things. And I teach this over and over again because I want people to know it plainly and clearly. Sin is three things. First thing is doing things that God doesn't want us to do. Of course, do you know what those things are? We'll talk about that in a moment. But when we do things God doesn't want us to do, that's sin. Most people think that's the definition. That's one-third of the definition. The other one is similar, but it's the reverse. It's not doing things God does want us to do. So it could be things you commit or things you omit. But there's even a bigger one, the most important of the three. And it's our inability to change number one and two. I'm talking about it being our nature. Sin is what we do, but sin is what we are. I know that doesn't feel good to hear that. But listen, if you don't know you're sick, you're not going to see the doctor. You have to know God's perspective. And it's pretty simple. First of all, none, none of us have to feel worse than anyone else because the person sitting next to you is a sinner. You're a sinner too. Yeah, but at least I'm not. Uh -uh. There are no at least I'm nots. That's one of the things we have to understand. We're all sinners in God's eyes. We all do things we're not supposed to do. And we all don't do things we are supposed to do. And none of us have the ability to change that about ourselves. I wish we could, but we can't. Even if you had the ability to change right now, what about all the sins you've committed before now? So we need forgiveness. And we need to be fixed all right, so what are some of the things God does not want us to do? Very practical, practically speaking. Saying unkind things to people. If you've ever said something unkind to somebody, let me see your hand. Yeah, except for you. We'll talk about the ninth commandment about lying a little later. All right, you all put up your hands. You're honest. That's good. Honesty is good. How about this? How many of you have ever been dishonest? <laughs> Why did fewer hands just now go up? I don't understand. <laughs> I'm not going to ask for a show of hands on this one, but I kind of blogged about this this week, and it's, it's on my mind, but I want you to understand it. Sleeping around? You know, God doesn't want us doing that, but it's our culture. We do it all the time. I know people, they've lived together like five, six, seven years. They're raising kids together. They share a house, but they won't get married. Like, never mind. All right, so 
dishonesty, sleeping around, lying, thank you for that one, Laura, <laughs> saying unkind things, if you've ever done any of those things, please raise your hand. Yes, now, now keep your hands up. Hang on a minute. <laughs> Wait, confession's good for the soul, right? <laughs> no, I'm not taking a selfie. Wait a minute, yeah, let me take a selfie. Hang on. Wait a minute, let me get the phone just right. You ready? I gotta get the light out of the way. Oh, I missed my hand. There we go. Wait a minute. Good chance. Boom, baby. Okay. <laughs> We've all done those things. I was talking with a woman last week about heaven and hell, and she has a problem with the concept of hell. She thinks everybody's gonna go to heaven. I said, Well, I have a problem with that concept. I don't want to go to heaven if Hitler's there. Right? And not just Hitler. Imagine, okay, well, we've got this trash bag, uh, trash can, sits by the door, by the garage. And you put garbage in it, you got to change it regularly. But every once in a while, you put something in there that's just a little too ripe. You don't know it when you put it in there, but within a day or so, the whole house is like, ooh, what is that? What died? Right? Have you ever had that experience? You can't bring garbage into heaven without stinking up heaven. Sin is garbage. You know, I love going to Costco and getting these, like, crates of, of strawberries. Three dollars! Take it home. One bad strawberry. And there's always one in there. It's got all that fuzz on it. And it starts to spread. And it ruins all the good ones right next to it. That's what sin's like. You cannot take sin to heaven. So we use Hitler as an example, but... Even, even Mother Teresa is sin, a sinner. You can't take her to heaven as she is, or she's going to spread the fuzz. <laughs> yeah, I was at Book of Life today, and he's preaching against cops. I really I didn't appreciate that. <laughs> All right, so sin is doing things God does not want us to do. And sin is also not doing things God does want us to do. What are some things that we don't do that God wants us to do? This one's going to hurt. Coming to church faithfully. I know most people don't do that. Giving to the poor. Well, a lot of us do it, but how well do we do it? You know? Honoring our parents. Now listen, we do it usually, most of the time, but not all the time. How about just being forgiving, compassionate, and kind. I was talking to another religious leader the other day, and I'm going to have to go back and ask him why he asked me this question from another faith. And he said, you really live and breathe this, don't you? <laughs> and I said, yeah. I was stunned. I didn't... How, how can you ask that question? Is there then the implication that there are some religious leaders or just religious people in general that don't live it and breathe it? Yeah. Wow, that's sad. See, God isn't like a TV show where you can set the DVR. I'm going to get Godish Sunday morning from about 8 to 10. And then I'm done. I, I did my duty. Well, the third thing, by the way, I was supposed to be using my clicker all through this. I got click-deprived. <laughs> 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 
We can't do, stop doing these things. It's like the guy who's got to put the stone up the hill and then it rolls down. He's got to pick it up and do it over again. And it rolls down. He's got to pick it up and do it over again. We cannot stop. We are incapable of stopping. We are sick spiritually and we are broken. It's just the way it is. can cry about it and say it's not right and it's not right and it's not right. It is right. It is the way it is. The question is, do we want to accept it or get fixed? Christ died for our sins, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God. So here's what we've learned so far. Jesus is God. He's all-powerful. And yet, he died. How could that be? The only way is if he willed it and he did something to his own power to allow him to be killable, which he did. That's why he was born in the first place. He was born so he could die. One more thing. And this is the big thing. This is the Easter thing. He rose from the dead. Three days later, he rose from the dead. That's what Easter's about. That's why we're celebrating this morning. That's why we were clapping so loud and having a good time. That's why we had breakfast. And that's why we're having candies later. And that's why we're having that thing that's mentioned in the Bible, uh, the piñata. That's why we're doing that later, too. Because <laughs> we just want to have fun. We want to celebrate. And a lot of you are going to go out with your families and have lunch somewhere and just you're going to make a day out of it. Because it's a great day. Jesus rose from the dead. But there's a lot of people that don't believe it. They think it's, it's a metaphor. Or, or, you know, you don't really got to believe that part of the Bible. No, but you do. It can't be a metaphor. It can't be a myth. Because if he really didn't die from, uh, rise from the dead, we've got some very serious problems. Serious problem number one is the credibility of Jesus himself. You know what he said? He said, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. He was speaking of the temple of his body. He said, go ahead and kill me. I'll rise up on the third day. If the resurrection didn't really happen, what does that make Jesus? A liar, a deceiver, and a nobody. He's worse than a nobody because a nobody doesn't tell you that they're going to save you from your sins and that they're the son of God. And then, psych, that's, that's no good. So, if the resurrection didn't really happen, just take the whole Bible and throw it away. It's worthless. But it did happen. But how do I know it happened? I mean, I wasn't there. That is true. I was not there. So how do we know it really happened? Let's get our thinking caps on for a minute. How do we know anything happened if you weren't there? There's a group of people who deny that the Holocaust happened. Now, they don't make a lot of headway right now because there's still people who live through the Holocaust alive. But what's going to happen when they die? Well, fortunately, the Holocaust is one of the most well-documented events in human history. How do I know the Holocaust happened? I wasn't there. I've talked to people who were there, and they told me it happened. There are the Nuremberg trials where the Nazis said what they did. Not only were the Jews there who talked about it, 
But the gypsies were there who talked about it, and the Poles, and the Russians, and hey, the American veterans, you calling them all liars? They're the ones that freed the concentration camps. They saw it. They took the pictures. So when you say it didn't happen, you're just calling them all liars. Oh, it happened. It's well documented. How do we know Jesus rose from the dead? It's one of the most attested to events in human history. First of all, there were countless witnesses. There was one event where he appeared alive before 500 witnesses. And just like now, you can go talk to a Holocaust survivor, then you could have gone talk to a witness. You read through all the ancient writings, and nobody says, oh, his body was still in the tomb. They don't say that, because it wasn't. And all they had to do was talk to anybody and say, no, I was there. It was empty. I was there. In fact, I saw him on the cross, and then I had dinner with him the next week. Um, yeah, you're just making it up. Well, maybe I am, but what about these 500 people who you can go talk to right now? When you have that many witnesses, you can't say it didn't happen. So we know it happened because of all the witnesses. We also know it happened because of the testimony of the apostles. You know, almost all the apostles died because of their faith. They were martyred. So a Roman comes up to you and says, I'm going to crucify you just like we did Jesus unless you deny the faith. And you're an apostle, and you know he didn't rise from the dead. What are you going to do? Say, yeah, go ahead and kill me. I'll die for a lie. You wouldn't do that. You'd say, hey, I made it up. Spare me. Why would you die for a lie? Now, some of you are thinking, well, people die for the religions all the time. That is true, but they die for what they think is true and they're wrong. They think it's true, but they're wrong. These apostles were there. They knew the truth. They wouldn't die for something they knew was wrong. Besides, not only did they agree to die as martyrs, but they changed. They were transformed. When Jesus was captured, they fled. They were scared. They were in hiding. A few days later, they're out preaching the gospel. What changed? Oh, they met Jesus again. And they were on fire, filled with the Holy Spirit. And they were on fire. And that brings me to my fourth reason, um, the power of transformed lives. Well, I've got the 500 witnesses, the testimony of the apostles. Before I go to the power of transformed lives, I want to talk to you about my trip to Israel. I, I did something while I was there. There's two places in Jerusalem where people think Jesus might have been buried. One of them is the garden tomb. Very idyllic, very park-like easy to picture what it might have been like in those days. The other is an ancient Catholic church, all decorated and covered with candles and, and icons and statues, and it's hard to get a feel for the resurrection or the cave in a building. Nevertheless, a lot of people think it happened there. So I went to the more idyllic one, and I took a little video footage for you, for you all in our TV audience. May I show you? We're looking at the garden, too. This is one of the places that people think Jesus might have been buried in where he rose from the dead. Tens of thousands of people flock here to visit this site. But as the scripture says, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, he is risen. That's the thing. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, where's his body? See, if it was just a random person and a random death and a random burial and you can't find his body, that's fine. But when extremely famous people die, you know exactly where they're buried. But not only that, his enemies knew he said he was going to rise from the dead. 
So they got a bunch of soldiers to guard his tomb so that nobody could steal away his body and then claim he rose from the dead. So in their evil faithlessness, they actually produced evidence for the resurrection because his tomb was guarded. Nobody could steal the body. They knew exactly where it was and they protected it from thieves. And yet, lo and behold, the body was gone. And the Bible tells us what happened. The guards were given a large sum of money and told to lie. Just tell the governor you fell asleep and the, the disciples stole his body. And if you, they, they want to punish you for falling asleep on the job, we'll make sure you don't get punished. Okay, fine. The disciples stole his body. Where is it? Uh-uh. They don't exist. Because he is not dead. He is risen, just as he said. So I talked to you also about the power of transformed lives. I talked to you about the apostles. They changed tremendously. Let me ask you a question. And don't, do not feel obligated to put up your hand. But if it's appropriate, please do. How many of you have had your lives transformed since believing in Jesus Christ? Let me see your hands. Wow, almost everybody, yeah. See, 2,000 years later, he's still transforming lives. Dead people don't do that. He lives, and he has poured forth his Holy Spirit into our hearts, and he has empowered us, and he has changed us. The type of people who have been changed and the way that they have been changed, you think of the worst, scummiest person you can think of, and those kind of people get changed all the time. <laughs> Saying, yeah, I'm sitting right next to him. <laughs> I remember when I was in Bible college, there's a guy with sparkly shoes, bling all over his hands. That was before bling was a word. Chains around his neck. He was dressed like a pimp. Because he was a pimp. But he was a former pimp. He gave his life to Jesus. So why didn't he change the way he dressed? Well, I'm sure there's a couple of reasons. One of which, because he looked pretty sharp. <laughs> and you don't have to be a pimp to look like a pimp. <laughs> but also, he didn't leave the streets. He wanted to talk to all the other prostitutes and pimps about Jesus. And he started leading people to the Lord. Gangbangers, murderers, rapists, drunks, drug addicts, child abusers, even politicians. <laughs> the power of a transformed life, it happens. Now, if your life has not been transformed by Jesus, there's probably two type of people in here who didn't raise their hand or couldn't raise their hand. You came to Jesus when you were like five years old and you've always walked with him, and so you don't know what a life without him is like. You know you walk with him, but your life wasn't transformed because you were too young to have lived like a pimp or a bank robber or a thief or a crook or a drunkard, and that's cool. But you're walking for Jesus today, and that's wonderful. And the rest of you are, you just haven't made the decision to follow Jesus. Well, for those of you sitting up front, you didn't see it, but everybody else in the back saw almost everybody raised their hands. So that means Jesus has transformed the life of almost everybody in this room. So you can ask almost anybody in this room their story, and they'll tell you how Jesus transformed their life and how your life can be transformed too. It's not 
mystical, it's not magical. It's recognizing that you are a sinner. And Jesus died and rose to save you. He gave his all to win you. And all you have to do is reject your sin and receive your Savior. And I would encourage you to do that. In fact, I'm going to lead you all in a prayer and give you the opportunity to do that. Those of you that don't want to, that's fine. This will just take a moment. But for those of you who do, please bow your heads with me. Lord God, I do believe in you. And I believe you sent your son Jesus. That he set his power aside so that he might die for our sins. I believe he did that for me and for us. And I also believe he rose again on the third day. And that he is risen even now. And I pray, Lord God, for those in this room who have not yet made a decision that they would choose to follow you right now this instant, that they would turn from their sins and make a decision for Jesus. And the words would go something like this, Lord, I believe and I give myself to you and I promise to follow you the rest of my days. Thank you for dying for my sin. Amen. If you made that decision this morning, I would very much appreciate knowing about it. Slip me a note, tell me, Email me. Uh, not only do I just want to rejoice with you and let others rejoice with you, but I want to help you on the next step, get you some reading material, talk to you about baptism and what it means to follow the Lord.